Well, we now know that Republicans have won the House in the 2022 midterms and will control the House of Representatives for a two year period. It will be Hunter Biden 24 seven. It may be Joe Biden impeachment. How do we know? Well, I'll show you in a moment. If you needed any more sense of what to expect, though, you need look only over to the Senate and what 37 Republican senators there did in voting against recognizing codifying same sex and interracial marriages. It's 2022. It's not 2002 or 1992 or 1922. But 37 Republican senators said, let's not codify federal recognition of same sex and interracial marriage. And that tells us a lot about what we can expect in the House. Now, one important thing to mention at the end of the day, we had shifting forecasts, uh, polls being molded like putty. We didn't know well as which scenario the most likely scenario going into the midterms was Democrats hold the Senate but lose the House. And that's exactly what happened. Now, of course, it was a circuitous path to get there. But the final result in the 30,000 foot view is exactly what we expected. Now, in terms of the Biden impeachment, Hunter Biden investigations, these are really not maybes. First and foremost, Jim Jordan will become chair of the House Judiciary Committee when this new Congress is sworn in a disgrace, a humiliation, but a very clear sign of what is to come, because we know all about Jim Jordan's interests in irrelevant stories like Hunter Biden. Secondly, we are going to see people like Marjorie Taylor Greene now spend two years trying to impeach Biden probably three or four times a week. And the hope has to be that the American people overall and, I, you know, when there are so many people who have been successfully targeted by weaponized propaganda that they will believe that impeaching Biden and investigating Hunter Biden makes sense as judicial prior uh, legislative priorities, House of Representatives priorities. But the hope has to be that most people realize investigating Hunter Biden does nothing for me about inflation or wages or health care or whatever the case may be. Um, many of us saw this coming. There's no question about it. But it is now abundantly clear that it is going to be Hunter Biden 24 seven, just as a couple of examples for you over on Twitter. The House GOP Twitter account has spent much of the last 24 hours uh, tweeting about Hunter Biden. And as you scroll down and look at the things here, Joe Biden is the big guy. They tweeted big guy is a reference to a Hunter Biden story in which they say Joe Biden is referred to as the big guy who's getting a cut of something, you know, these conspiracy theories that they have. They then posted a uh, clip of an interview with Hunter Biden. Again, they're, they're obsessed with Hunter Biden. Then before that, th this is all in the last hour, by the way, as I'm filming. Then they posted a link to a Fox News article about Hunter Biden. Then they posted a picture of Joe Biden allegedly meeting Hunter Biden's Kazakh business associate. Then previously they had posted another clip from an interview with Hunter Biden and more pictures of the Biden family. And I, I'm not going to waste the entire segment talking about this, but going on and on and on. And then, by the way, this morning, a Fox News covered a press conference in which Republican Congressman James Comer declared that the Hunter Biden uh, that Hunter Biden himself is going to be at the center of investigations to be carried out by the Republican House. So there's two ways to look at this. One, these people are obsessed with uh, Joe and Hunter Biden in a way that makes no sense. Hunter Biden's not an elected official. He's not running for anything. He has nothing to do with the administration, contrary to Ivanka and Jared, who did have things to do with the Trump administration. The people are going to see through it and they're not going to go for it. The counterpoint would be, hey, Republicans have a solution to just about every problem. Inflation. Well, we're going to subpoena Hunter Biden. Gas prices are too high. Subpoena Hunter Biden. What do we do about housing or China or health care or immigration or whatever police? 
we're investigating Hunter Biden and maybe we're even impeaching Joe Biden. Will much of the country fall for it? I don't know. I don't know. Now, if we want to put the best possible spin on this, and by this I mean Republicans taking the House, making it clear they're going to spend two years mostly focused on Hunter Biden, this is going to be the slimmest of slim majorities for Republicans in the House. And you could make the case that this will expose their BS, their obsession with the relevant things like Hunter Biden, such that in 2024 it will be very helpful to Democrats in taking back a sizable majority. That's the, the, the sort of rose colored glasses view on this. They'll have just enough power to look bad, but hopefully not enough power to cause major destruction. I don't know. It's really a predictive question. And as I've told you before, humans are pretty bad at making predictions. The upshot of the obsession with the Hunter Biden stuff is, yeah, Fox News is going to talk about it all the time. But I don't think the American people, generally speaking, are obsessed with Hunter at all. It's a sliver of the right that cares about Hunter. And so we'll see where it all shakes out. We have now uh, a little bit of data to maybe answer the question. Could disproportionate Republican covid deaths have flipped any particular seats in the 2022 midterms. Now, let me reset this for you, because we've talked about this probably for a year or more, but now we're really in the thick of it because we now have most of the results of the 2022 midterms. We know that more Republicans than Democrats died of covid. We don't know exactly to what degree or by how much, but we know that this is a result of early on in the pandemic. Republicans were less likely to heed public safety guidelines than were Democrats. Therefore, they got more covid. And as a function of that, more of them died in the post vaccine era. Uptake of vaccines was lower among Republicans than it was among Democrats. And as a result of that, more Republicans died of covid, generally speaking. And so the question of whether this impacted the election results is really a mathematical question. First, you've got to figure out to what degree were Republicans dying of covid more than Democrats. It seems like now it's it's twice as much. So we could call it two to one. You could zoom out and say, OK, twice as much means roughly two thirds of the covid deaths were Republicans. One third of the covid deaths were Democrats. Got about a million deaths. OK, so again, we're very much zooming out. When a 12 year old dies, you don't assign a party affiliation to that. Right. But we're speaking super generally out of a million. You would say, well, that's like six hundred and sixty six thousand Republican deaths, three hundred and thirty three thousand Democratic deaths. Again, th these aren't real numbers because you've also got non voters in there and kids, et cetera. That means that the gap means about three hundred and thirty three thousand more Republicans than Democrats died assuming everybody is a voter and is an adult. So then you've got to figure out of that three hundred and thirty three thousand gap. Are there any particular districts where the gap alone or any particular states for statewide Senate and gubernatorial elections where that death difference alone could have flipped a seat? We don't really know the answer yet, but it's increasingly being studied. Um, we uh, there is a well, actually vice wrote this up and they are not the authors of the study, but we'll link to this article. The study is called Excess Death Rates for Republicans and Democrats During the Covid-19 Pandemic. And they looked at death records. They looked at voter registration and they said, what is the link here between political affiliation, covid deaths and the impact on the midterms? Now, I am going to come out and, and right up front, say a couple different things. It is completely possible that the margins here were between Republican and Democratic deaths in particular congressional districts, for example, weren't actually big enough to really flip any elections. Maybe they were. Maybe they were not. There are some who are saying that it is just filthy to even be asking this question. I completely disagree with that. Um, you're, you're not 
making light of anything by on top of all of the obvious personal and family tragedy that are covid deaths to to ask the political question and say, could this have shaped the electorate in twenty twenty two? It's a completely reasonable question to ask. So don't don't be swayed by the Republicans who are turning up their noses and saying how offensive, how offensive to even ask the question. There is really nothing wrong with asking the question. The next part of this is it would be interesting to actually get some some specific numbers. You know, we in the lead up to twenty twenty two, I used an example from Florida's last gubernatorial election. And in Florida's last gubernatorial election, the margin between Ron DeSantis and then Democratic candidate Andrew Gillum was very small. And based on that margin, the disproportionate Republican covid deaths in Florida could have made a difference. But that was in the last election. The margin was so big in DeSantis defeating Charlie Crist uh, last week that the covid deaths would not make a difference. It was ni- a 19 point uh, win for Ron DeSantis. So the theoretical example I gave about Florida from the previous election, it really doesn't apply because the margin was so big. So generally speaking, even if there were no specific races that depended on the partisan uh, split in covid deaths, this may become a larger component of Republican demographics uh, related to vaccines beyond covid. Given the growing anti-vaccine sentiment that has developed in the Republican Party since covid more broadly, we might actually start to see this particularly over time be a factor. We know we've said before there are demographic changes happening in Texas where Texas is becoming uh, uh, bluer as a result of demographic changes. There may also be changes to the electorate forced in by anti-vaccine sentiment. It shouldn't come as a huge shock that this is sort of the conclusion to what has been, quite frankly, decades of Republicans increasingly denying science, increasingly telling themselves scientists are just sort of like liberal professors. You can ignore everything they say and bring your own opinion. And your own opinion is just as valid as theirs. Seeing that grow for decades should then not make a surprise now at what we are seeing. At some point, we will probably get a more specific answer. Was there any particular race that arguably was flipped by disproportionate Republican COVID deaths? We don't have the answer right now, but it is being studied. I love cooking at home, I cook all the time. Having a good set of knives that you actually like to use is really important. For years, I have been a fan of the advantages that Japanese knives offer. And our sponsor, Kamikoto, makes amazing Japanese steel kitchen knives using the traditional techniques that date back to the Edo period of Japan. Kamikoto only uses steel from Japan. Each blade takes years to craft and goes through a rigorous 19 step inspection process with a lifetime guarantee. The knives come in a beautiful heavy duty ash wood box, makes it a really great gift, easy to store as well. On the Kamikoto website, you can see a map of the Michelin star chefs all over the world using Kamikoto knives. My Kamikoto knives at home have been performing great for years. You really just can't beat the feel of a nice Japanese knife perfectly balanced in your hand. And Kamikoto is now running a big Black Friday sale. My audience gets an extra $50 off. Go to Kamikoto.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. That's K-A-M-I-K-O-T-O dot com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman for an extra $50 off. The info is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you NerdWallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
I've had such trouble finding a great razor where I am not cutting myself or getting those nicks on my skin, which are so common with the cheap disposable razors. You have to meet our sponsor, Henson Shaving. Henson actually manufactures parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And they are bringing that exact same precision engineering to the shaving experience. It hurts when you shave because blades extend too far and thus they wobble slightly. But with their aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson is able to make metal razors that extend just zero point zero zero one three inches. That's less than the thickness of a human hair, which means a secure, stable blade with a vibration free shave. It also has built in channels to evacuate the hair and the cream. No more clogs, no more rubbing your thumb on the razor to get the hair out. I use Henson at home. Shaving is a great experience now. Henson wants to be the best razor, not the best razor business, which means you only need to buy it once and it's awesome. Go to hensonshaving.com slash Pacman, add a razor and a hundred pack of blades to your cart, then enter the code Pacman to get the hundred blades for free. That is a three year supply. That's H E N S O N shaving.com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show is an audience supported program. We do an extra show every single day called The Bonus Show just for our members. We also provide an audio and video feed of every show, commercial free, published about five or six hours before the entire show is published. You can get access to all of that at joinpacman.com. And you can also use the coupon code 24 starts now to get yourself a nice little discount. That's all at joinpacman.com. I would love for you to sign up and support the work that we do. Mike Pence malfunctioned at a completely cringeworthy town hall on CNN last night. This is absolutely beyond belief. Former Vice President Mike Pence had a really bad town hall on CNN last night in which he, among other things, got a lady's name wrong and then just went silent for five seconds. Uh, really, really odd. The the bigger question is why he's even doing town halls on CNN right now. You might say, well, it's because he's maybe running in 24. Uh, maybe right now the predictive markets don't look very good for Mike Pence. So check out this clip. This, this is one of the wildest clips I've seen. Uh, a lady named Andrea asks a question. And Pence calls Pence calls her Barbara, and then it gets really weird. And Pence appears to malfunction. Now I admit, I watched this about ten times last night. I was laughing so hard to myself, I almost woke up my sleeping baby daughter. Check this out. Now the the Andrea's last name is Barbara Dansby, so Barbara wasn't completely pulled out of thin air. But her name isn't Barbara; it's Andrea. When Andrea corrects Mike Pence. He, he sort of seems to freeze and glitch. It was almost Trump like. Check this out. And this freedom based on Roe also continue. Barbara, thank you. I, I represented Madison County in Congress for many years. <laughs> Andrea. It's nice to see you. <laughs> that that pause was not I did. I did nothing to doctor that uh, very, very strange pause. This is a Kafka-esque moment. I, I know, I know. It's been months since I brought out Kafka-esque. This is unbelievable. Barbara, thank you. That my name's Andrea. Good to see you. And then he says nothing. I let's just just take it in one more time for its full cringeworthy glory. And this freedom based on Roe also continue. Barbara, thank you. I, I represented Madison County in Congress for many years. <laughs> Andrea. It's nice to see you. <laughs> you know, when I. Th oh, dear God. OK, so it was only downhill from there. If you can imagine, that wasn't even the worst moment. So the first actual question that Pence got, it was such a softball that I thought this was all going to be a waste of time. Look, look at how soft this question is. Whether you love him or hate him. Yeah. Former President Trump, now candidate Trump, is a polarizing figure who brought controversial issues to the forefront of American politics. How does the country 
move past the polarization and find common ground solutions to these important issues facing this nation. I mean, it's Pence's answer doesn't even matter. That's the prototypical softball question. And of course, Pence has no idea how to bring the country together. He's part of the evangelical right wing movement that has sowed division in the country for decades. It Pence is completely uh, uh, unqualified to answer the question, but so soft. But then it actually got kind of interesting. CNN actually showed video, showed Pence video of the gallows where Trump supporters wanted to hang Pence on January 6th. Now, Pence has developed a, a, a sort of um, demeanor during these moments where he will sort of like pause and act like he's thinking very deeply and it's very you know important what to say. It's all contrived, but it's still interesting to confront him with this video. Check this out. I want to um, take you back to that day. Take a look at the video over here. Um, that, of course, was the news hanging outside the Capitol that day. And rioters were calling for your execution, uh, chanting, hang Mike Pence. Almost two years later, is it still tough to there's some of the video of the hang Mike Pence. Uh, two years later, is it still tough to see that and hear that? He's thinking now. Jake, it, it saddens me. Sad. But that day it angered me. Yeah. I must tell you, when uh, when the Secret Service took us down to the loading dock, mm. accompanied by my wife, my daughter Charlotte, and our Secret Service detail, I was determined to stay at my post. I told the Secret Service that I was not leaving the Capitol. I didn't want to give those people the sight of a 16-car motorcade speeding away from the Capitol that day. Right. But frankly, when I saw those images and when, when I read a tweet that President Trump issued saying that I lacked courage in that moment, it angered me greatly. But to be honest with you, I didn't have time for it. Yeah. Um. It's all just very strange. And I get the idea that what Pence is trying to do here is sort of like project strength and calm and an unwavering demeanor. But at the same time, it all continues to be sort of like you realize the guy you worked for almost got you killed. Right. I mean, that literally almost in the sense that, of course, he had Secret Service protection, but his followers wanted you dead. It, this wasn't Democrats. This was your side. And then at another point, the town hall almost gets like an intervention type vibe. If I were you, I would still be livid with Donald Trump. I would be so furious. And I know you're a measured man. Right. Um, but are you still angry? Well, I must tell you, the president's words and tweet that day were reckless. They endangered my family and and all the people at the Capitol. And I was angry. But, you know, my Christian faith tells me to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. All right. So then he just goes into Christian stuff and says, you know, we forgive and so on and so forth. So the question, why was he doing this at all? I don't really know the answer. The betting markets now on the question of who will win the 2024 Republican nomination have this, quite frankly, as just a race between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. And Mike Pence is sort of like in a tied for third position alongside Nikki Haley and Glenn Youngkin. So what this means for the future of Pence, I don't really know. But it was certainly interesting to hear where his head was yesterday. Uh, and it's all very, very strange and uh, remains to be seen whether Pence will actually run. But what very, very he's just a strange guy, I think, at the end of the day of the day is what I'm realizing. He also appeared on Fox News. Let's take a look at that appearance real quick. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but Mike Pence has put together a number of appearances here um, connected, of course, to the book that he has written. And he, you know, He's turned on Trump. He's abandoned Trump. Pence has put together a list of five or so very calculated statements that he repeats. One that we've heard often is what Trump did was reckless on January 6th. Another one that he repeats is he endangered my family. These are not accidents. These are workshopped lines where 
Pence knows he's going to get these questions and he works with a team to figure out. Here's the things I'm going to say. A new thing that he said yesterday on Fox News was that there will be better choices for the Republican nomination in 2024 than Trump. And one of the most interesting things about this is watching the Fox uh, Fox and Friends hosts figure out how to deal with this. I honestly believe uh, that uh, we'll have better choices come 2024. You know, I, I don't think anybody better could choices have, than Donald Trump. Uh, I do. I, yeah, we will have better choices than Donald Trump. So the question still remains, of course, if the nominee in 24 is Donald Trump, will you vote vote for him? I have no reason right now to believe that the answer is no. I think much like William Barr, who criticized Trump up and down for a dozen different things. And then when it came to, well, but would you vote for him if he's the nominee? And he's like, well, yeah, Democrats are a disaster. I'm not voting for a Democrat. I think despite all this, despite Pence's anger that Trump endangered his family, he still hasn't said if Trump is the nominee, I will not vote for him. And I think that he will. Um, one other interesting anecdote from yesterday's interview with Fox. Um, he talked about I get it, my understanding is this is the last time he spoke to Trump and I went into his office and uh, I, I after he made inquiries about Karen and Charlotte, who'd been with me at the Capitol the entire time on January 6th, all the way till four in the morning. Yeah, um, he asked me uh, he asked me what I'd felt that day and I told him I was angry. Uh, we had our differences and seeing those people ransacking the Capitol infuriated me. I my my only thought was not this, not here, not in America. Right. But we I was very candid with him. We were very straightforward with each other. I, I sensed in the president as I write it genuine remorse about what had happened. And in the days that followed that, um, we spoke again and again in the two weeks remaining of the administration. What's funny about I sense genuine remorse is as recently as last month or two weeks ago, Trump made clear he doesn't have remorse. He repeated all the same stuff that infuriated his followers about Mike Pence. I, I also Trump has never expressed remorse about anything. None of this all seems made up. But on that day that you ask about, um, uh, I sense the president was still um, uh, saddened by what had occurred. And I yeah. just reminded him, as I had at the beginning of our first conversation, that I was praying for him. I prayed for that president almost every day during our administration. Mm -hmm. And he was dismissive about it at first. It don't, don't bother. But then as I, a few minutes later, as I got up to leave the room, I looked at him as he sat at the end of the little table in the dining room just off the Oval Office. Uh, and I said, well, I guess there's just two things we're probably always going to disagree on. And he looked up at me and, and faintly said, what? And I said, referred to my role on January 6th. Mm -hmm. And then I said, uh, I'm never going to stop praying for you. <laughs> and he looked at me and, and said, that's right. Don't, don't ever change. Yeah. Now, we parted amicably. Does anybody believe that story? And, and the, the biggest lie seems to be the last thing we parted amicably. Trump doesn't part amicably with people. He just doesn't. But I don't believe a word of that story. So it's an interesting anecdote because it's the opposite of everything that we know Trump to be. He wants to sell books. We'll see what happens in 2024. Hey, one quick note. Madison Cawthorn, thankfully, as one of the most radical members of Congress to be elected in 2020, was defeated in a Republican primary. Good. He'll be leaving on January, whatever the date is, uh, 2023, when the new Congress is inaugurated, except it appears that he has already left. There's a very interesting report from The Citizen Times. Uh, Madison Cawthorn vacates offices before end of term. Constituents calls go unanswered. He has stopped working. Madison Cawthorn is no longer working. He's still an elected official. He's still a member of Congress. He isn't working anymore. And this is just really instructive about what happens when you vote for these people. None of these people want to work. This is the exact same story as what we saw with Donald Trump during the campaign over the summer in 2020. Trump, by many reports, had essentially stopped all presidential duties. He wasn't receiving the presidential daily briefing. Even when he was receiving it, he wasn't really paying attention, but he wasn't even ostensibly re receiving it. Um, and then in the period between the November 2020 election and when Trump ultimately left the White House, he wasn't doing any work. 
these people don't actually want to work. They don't want to work. Madison Cawthorn has just left. He has abandoned the job that, quite frankly, he was never actually interested in doing. It was sort of like it was sort of like college, right? He thought this sounds kind of cool, but he didn't actually want to do the stuff that's required. People around him were a little bit creeped out. He did a terrible job, messed up a bunch of stuff and then ended up kind of going back home to live with his family. They're not really sending their best. And this is just another example where, again, I would say to you, to Republicans, are you so committed to the party that you would quite literally rather a guy who goes home instead of doing the job than a Democrat who cares? And I know the answer for many of them. The answer is yes. It's, it's quite it's that simple. And for many of them, especially the ones who say our elected officials shouldn't even be doing that much. It's extra exciting to see a guy go. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going home because they don't want government doing stuff. So as insane as this is, you will find defenders of Madison Cawthorn who will say, I think it's good. He doesn't need to be there voting on all sorts of stuff that government shouldn't even be involved in. He has abandoned his job. We'll have all of the clips from all of these segments on our Instagram, which you can find at David Pakman show. We're going to take the shortest of breaks and then the show continues. One of our sponsors is Helix Sleep. I have been sleeping on a Helix mattress for years and I always recommend it to friends. You'd simply take this Helix Sleep quiz. It asks you about your body type, your sleep position, whether you have back pain, and then Helix will match you up with the mattress that is personalized to your needs and they ship it to you for free. Another reason I went with Helix is that unlike a lot of mattress companies out there, every single Helix mattress is made in the USA by a skilled production team, which means when you buy a Helix mattress, you are supporting great jobs. I'm not the only one who loves Helix. Helix was recently awarded number one mattress by both GQ and Wired magazine. Every Helix mattress comes with a 10 or 15 year warranty. You can try it 100 nights and send it back for a full refund if you need to. Support The David Pakman Show by getting your next mattress from Helix Sleep, and you'll get up to $350 off any mattress plus two free pillows when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H-E-L-I-X-S-L-E-E-P dot com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. You've heard me talk about the accounts we've had hacked. It's a horrible experience. It can happen to anyone. Look up the stats. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it may at some point. Protecting yourself against scammers online can get complicated. Our sponsor, Aura, is the all in one solution that I now use to keep accounts safe. Aura scans the dark web for your personal info, emails, passwords, social security numbers, immediately alerts you if anything is found, helps you fix the problem. You also get alerts about suspicious credit inquiries. Aura automatically requests the removal of your information from search engines and data broker sites. And Aura protects all of your devices from malware with its state of the art antivirus. And Aura also helps you manage what your kids can do on their devices with very simple, easy to use parental device controls. You can try Aura free for two weeks at Aura.com slash Pacman. Your login credentials might already be floating around. It takes only a few seconds on Aura to figure that out. And think of all of the other useful things you'll discover during the two week trial. That's a u r a dot com slash Pacman to have Aura scan the dark web on your behalf totally free. The link is in the podcast notes. It is great to have uh, Rick Sanchez joining us today, veteran journalist and Emmy Award winner, who is the co-founder, CEO and president of Agua Media. Rick, it's so great to have you on. I'm, listen, uh, David, I, I, I am so proud of you as a fellow Latino. Everything you do, uh, your determination, your ability to always fight for the little guy, your consistency, uh, general fairness, your messaging. Uh, you do a great job, David, and, and you ought to be commended. And, and, I, and I just got to be telling I got to tell you with all transparency, uh, I've been a fan for some time. I've been listening to what you do and you do a really great job. So. Well, I'm shocked and flattered, but also it provides like a really good segue into when we think about the dynamics 
of the American Spanish speaking or Latino origin community there. Yeah. It's such a diverse community. Many people see me. They say, David, you look white. How is it that you're South America? What's, and of course, you and I and many people in our community, we, we know about the diversity. But politically, yeah. it's also quite a diverse group. And as as I want to hear from you, the conventional wisdom is often Cubans and Venezuelans. They often come to the U.S. They become Republicans because they see that as a way to fight that which they left in their home countries. Those mm -hmm. from many other South American countries and Central American tend to be more democratic leaning. Is that the is that still accurate today? I think to a certain extent it is. Unfortunately, it's overplayed. So what happens is like with the election with Trump, for example, Trump did, in fact, you know, he gets his uh, he gets credit for winning Florida. Unfortunately, he didn't win Nevada. He didn't win Texas. He didn't win anywhere else in the country. Seventy percent of the people in the United States are not Venezuelans or Argentinians or Cubans. They are, for the most part, either Mexican or from other parts of Central America. But that message gets lost, David. So still, uh, the message seems to be that all the Latinos are moving to the Republican camp. Um, and that's not true. Uh, Latinos continue to vote basically two thirds uh, Democrat and one third Republican. And that's changed a little bit over time. But it seems to me that the message that's coming certainly from the right, the right is spending millions and millions of dollars with Americano and all these other front groups to try yep. and bring in and Soros, for example, to try and bring in Latinos. Um, they get credit for trying, but considering the amount of money they're putting into it and considering how little competition they're getting from Democrats to try and keep Latinos there, they actually aren't doing that well. I wouldn't score them highly on that. Yeah. Considering those of, two things well, I just said. It's interesting because you often touted is, oh, in tr 2020, Trump increased his share of the Latino vote by 8%. But when you start with a small number, even increasing it is not super impressive. But that being said, if the trend continued, it actually would be huge, hugely significant. Well, sure. And they even did well in this last election, if you want to go by uh, decimal points. Yep. And, and I think to a certain extent, look, I mean, let, let's just call this what it is. How much can Latinos be told that they're rapists and criminals by certain segments of the Republican Party, like Cruella DeVille running for governor in Arizona? And, you know, after a while, it's uh, obviously going to create a backlash. The, the problem, and, and I wish what I would see is more David Pakmans and more Rick Sanchez's, and I'm not just trying to say that we're the only ones that got this thing figured out, but I'd like to see that on the NBCs and the CBSs and the CNNs and other places where they don't just uh, kowtow to Latinos and uh, tell you about how much they like you, but actually understand that we're the fifth largest GDP in the world if we were a country, that 80% of us are American citizens, that uh, uh, 30, uh, 40, 41% of us uh, under the age of uh, 50 speak uh, English as our language. Uh, none of these things are proliferated. So I, I don't, I think both the Republican Party beating the crap out of the Latinos. Uh, and then the Democratic Party, unfortunately, not going far enough to really represent or understand Latinos, almost even taking them for granted to a certain extent, creates this dynamic that we're in right now. And it's got to change on both sides, obviously. One of the stories that's been told in the political world for at least 10 years, if not even longer, is there's these demographic shifts happening in states like Florida and Texas. And part of it is age related, but a lot of it is the growth of the Hispanic or Latino population. And it's just going to make it difficult and eventually impossible for Republicans to win Florida and Texas. And it hasn't played out. And many people are looking at the numbers and saying, OK, is this happening? Is it what is it going to play out? What is happening with that? Well, I think you have to take one thing into account, and this is maybe the most important thing. Latinos, the the common age of a Latino, David, is 11. Mm. Once, 11. That's the node, right? Scientifically speaking, mathematically speaking, the common age of a Latino is 11. Lock that number in because the common age of a, uh, a white Anglo-Saxon non-Latino in the United States is 58. So what that tells you is... Because Latinos are young, 
they're going to be voting in the future more in line with what we just saw some young people voting in this last election. So what they're going to care about is not comunista, comunista, like we hear today in parts of uh, South Florida, but they're probably going to be voting more in line with regular, you know, American young people. And that would not bode well for the Republicans. But right now, yeah, Republicans have done a great job in South Florida in particular bringing in the Venezuelan and the Cuban vote and the others who come from certain parts of Latin America by telling them that if you vote Democrat, you're voting for Chavez, you're voting for Fidel Castro, because right. all Democrats are communists. One of the things that applies generally when it comes to targeting young voters is that the right seems much more committed financially to setting up things like Turning Point USA, sending Ben Shapiro to college campuses and paying handsome speaking fees, et cetera. You really don't see it as much on on the left. And it seems that the same thing applies specifically to the targeting of Latino voters, where there's lots of right wing Spanish language political content on the radio in the United States, but really not much alternative to that. You know, that's kind of one of the reasons I'm doing Agua Media, because it, it, it's really a bit of a passion project for myself and for Solomon Trujillo, my partner. Um, you know, Saul and I have realized that if we don't get the story out ourselves, and thank God we have a David Pakman who's also a Latino, who's also an influential member of uh, the media community, to be able to tell the story that, unfortunately, I wish MSNBC would tell, but they don't. Let's face it, we're 20% of the population in the United States, and we are underrepresented across the board, whether it's Hollywood or whether it's on uh, cable television. Nancy Pelosi said something interesting. God love her. And I, I know she made a mistake, and she's an older woman and stuff, and, but she should have known better. Uh, soon after DeSantis did this stunt where he literally hijacked people or kidnapped people and sent them to another state uh, from Texas, her yep. response was, what a shame because imagine the farmers in Florida could have used some of those immigrants, for example, to pick their fruit and their vegetables. And I thought to myself, Nancy, God bless you, but that's not what you say. The answer is right now and in the future, Latinos will be the doctors, the business people. They'll be the people who create this unbelievably enterprising uh, uh, economy of ours. They tend to hire more. They tend to start more small businesses. You need to know that, Nancy, when you talk about Latinos, and that's the problem. And we don't get it at CNN. We don't get it at the MSNBCs. And those are the ones who are supposed to be our stalwarts. And in that example, and it's not to beat up, you know, Nancy Pelosi, but, yeah. you know, th that's that's the wrong mess. That's the wrong counter to the other argument. That's important, David. And that's why you and I, guys like you and I are out there to share these things. You know? Well, one thing I want to ask you about, and I have no idea what your position is on this, so I could be stepping into a minefield here, is... One of the things that when you talk about the conversation among the left and Latino Americans has to do with the gender neutralizing of the Spanish language. And I'm talking about Latin X yeah. and I'm talking. So that's in English, Latin X. And then there's a movement in Spanish as well where it would take something like the word amigos or amigas, which are gendered and create a new one, which is amigues with an E. Now, my view is this is a really bad idea. I don't think this makes any sense. Most people in Central and South America don't use that later example I gave. Latin X is mostly being proposed by white Americans. I think that this if this becomes the thing that is the topic in the U.S. among the left with this population, I think it's a disaster. Where, where are you on that? We're just throwing the right a bone to be able to use to coalesce Latinos against Democrats. And then they could go with that woke thing that, you know, is so amorphous and opaque. I don't even know what the hell it means. But yeah. don't do that. Don't. I mean, I, I'm so proud of my mother for everything she gave to me, as you are of your mother. And your mother is a Latina and my mother is a Latina and my father is a Latino. I can't think of describing Paco, my dad, as a Latinx. You know, what does that mean to me? Besides, if you're going to do it with us, Latinos, then you also have to do it with Italians because they do use uh, a non-gender uh, neutral, uh, you know, language because yeah. they all come from Romance languages and Romanians and the French and every Portuguese and everything. So 
leave well enough alone, as our, as our friend Willie Shakespeare said, when it comes to something like this. And let's tackle the really big issues that are affecting Latinos in the United States and not change their nomenclature. It, it just seems like a bridge too far. It almost seems like almost a little insulting to me. So when it comes to Latinx, in fact, when it comes to all colorations, I don't think we should be brown. I don't think we should be yellow. I don't think we should be black. I think you're an Argentinian American and I am a Cuban American and my friend Jerry over here who I'm looking at is a Mexican American and somebody can be a Jamaican American or an Irish American. It's a better description. In the old days when you called someone a colored person, it was insulting. And it seems like today we wanna to bring that back and somehow celebrate it. I'm against colors. Let's call each other as descriptively as we can, as we learned in journalism school, so that we understand how people are described. Let's talk a little bit about immigration and specifically DACA. DACA to me seems like it would be the lowest hanging fruit that both Democrats and Republicans would be incentivized to figure out and deal with and say, OK, here's something we've fixed. So it's not just endlessly a quote crisis. Now, of course, the term crisis is exaggerated and it's used, uh, it, you know, right leading up to an election and then suddenly you don't hear about it for a year. We know all of that stuff. OK, yeah. but on the DACA issue, it seems overwhelmingly popular to say we're not going to send people back to other countries who came here through no fault of their own as minors with parents. Why hasn't it happened? Is part of it that neither side wants to allow the other side to be able to take credit for that? I think, to be honest with you, uh, obviously Republicans have had an odd and almost cruel view of that and have for many, many years, with some exceptions. Uh, you know, we, we can give some credit to, to, to George Bush and we can give some credit. Hell, even to Lindsey Graham at some point. I don't know what the heck happened to that guy. There was yep. a time when he had a different way of thinking about uh, things like this. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, Democrats have never really made this, including, you know, President Obama, have never really made this the priority that they that they needed uh, to make it to 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 really make sure that they were uh um, you know, uh, making strides with the uh, Latino community where it matters, you know, right here in El Corazón, you know, as we like to say. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, I think to a fault. And I, and I think oftentimes Democrats, you know, as I said in that famous, uh, in that, in that famous uh, documentary that Billy did, uh, you know, the thing about Democrats is they're, they're always trying to do the right thing and please everybody. And Republicans could give a crap. They just want to win. So Republicans don't care who they insult and what they do, as long as in the end they can win. Uh, that's kind of the McConnell message, right, in many ways, which it's interesting now that they're trying to kick him out. And Democrats instead have always kind of overplayed things and be concerned about how it's going to be seen. And, well, if we come out too heavy on this, then we could lose middle America because we might lose votes in the Midwest. And they overthink things so much, and in the end, they don't do enough. And I think if Democrats had gotten on board DACA, for example, really gotten on board, um, I think they would be faring better now and not fighting, you know, between 60, 65, and 70 percent of the vote. And and really, they would probably be topping out around 80 percent. Because remember, the people that are affected by this, especially, are the people who are the larger part of the Latino community, right? The the Mexican American and the Central American part right. of the of those Latino communities. So it would make a huge difference, I think. Well, hopefully we will at least see some progress on that at some point. It, it may take Democrats allowing Republicans to do it under their watch to get that win. And the question is whether Democrats would go for it because it's the right thing to do, even if they don't get all of the political benefit. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's funny in this last election, I watched something happen. There was this guy who turned out to be a pretty awful human being, but for some reason he and I used to talk a lot. He would call me at least once a week when he was running Fox News, and that's Roger Ailes. And he used to say to me, and said publicly, in fact, that the funny thing about Republicans is they don't tell you what they think. They just show up to, uh, to uh, the polling place and uh, show their actions with their vote, and they don't go around giving their opinions. Wow, what a difference between what just happened in this election, not just with Latinos, but with others. Republicans are now the hippies of the 1970s. They're the ones having parades. They're the ones putting it out there. They're, I mean, 
I would never go screaming down the middle of the street holding a banner of any candidate no. or putting bumper stickers all over my house and doing all of those things. And that's what you see now with 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 Republicans. And and you invite him over to your backyard barbecue and he happens to be your neighbor and he's Republican and he immediately starts telling you who he, who's going to vote for, who he hates. And you're like, OK, here, you want a beer? And <laughs> right. It's the weirdest. It's the weirdest thing. They it's just strange. Like, Why are you telling me this? And uh, that used to be what Democrats were kind of like in the 60s and 70s. Now, Democrats just keep their mouths shut. They wait. And when it comes to vote, they voted against it. And that's kind of what we saw in this last midterm. And it made me think of the flip that maybe happened in our society. Yeah. And Roger Ailes captured the quiet Republican and created a television network for them. Right. And brought them out to the point now where they're, I guess, they're loud and proud, but not effective. Right. They're, they're not quiet anymore. Enough. That's for sure. No, no. That, that, I mean, that, that's the point. It, it's almost like it's uh, counterintuitive or yeah. ironically different. We've been speaking with Rick Sanchez, who's the co-founder, CEO and president of Agua Media. Rick, really a pleasure having you on. It's a pleasure to be with you as well, David. Thanks so much. And, uh, you know, vamos, dale. One of our sponsors is Monk Pack, making amazing granola bars and the nut and seed bars that are chewy, sweet and delicious. But I especially love them because each bar has only one gram of sugar, two to three net carbs and about 150 calories. Perfect. If you do keto or low carb or like me, you're just trying to stay conscious about sugar intake. You get the satisfying, crunchy, salty, sweet experience you were looking for without the sugar. Monk Pack comes in flavors like sea salt, dark chocolate, caramel sea salt. They launched two new flavors, which are great. Peanut butter, cocoa chip and dark chocolate cocoa. I keep Monk Pack granola bars and nut and seed bars in the pantry at all times. They're great on the go for a quick snack while you're working. If you don't love them as much as I and our team do, Monk Pack will refund all of your money or exchange the product, whichever you prefer. Go to monkpack.com and you'll get 20% off your first order with the code Pacman at checkout. That's M U N K P A C K.com. Use code Pacman for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. We have a very important runoff election happening in Georgia on December 6th. It is Herschel Walker versus incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. This will not decide who controls the Senate, Democrats will control the Senate. But it will decide, do Democrats control 50 50 with Kamala Harris as the tie breaking vote or do Democrats control 51 49, making Kamala Harris unnecessary or creating a little bit of margin in case Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema decide not to play ball? Well, as I've told you before, Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate, is one of the most, if not the most unqualified candidate for the Senate I can ever remember covering. I've played for you times where Herschel Walker has been incoherent, where he's been visibly disoriented, where he has said nonsense, gobbledygook coming out of his mouth. All of those examples are nothing compared to what I'm going to play for you today. Herschel Walker speaking a mile a minute. I've never seen this before. This is upper Herschel Walker on a rant about werewolves and vampires that I challenge you. I challenge you to make through the entire thing. Listen to this. I'm going to tell you to keep the faith. Oh, do you ever watch a stupid movie late at night hoping it's going to get better? Don't get better, but you keep watching it anyway. Because the other night, the other night I was watching this movie, I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Freak Night, or some type of night, but it was about vampires. I don't mm -hmm. know if you know vampires are some cool people, are they not? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know that? I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I want to be a werewolf. But then anyway, as I'm Elect this man. Watching this movie, and then you can tell you how stupid it is because it's one in the morning. So I'm watching my TV of uh, these kids watching their TV or uh, vampire kill on their TV. So you know it's kind of stupid, but I'm still watching though. As I'm watching this show, what was funny, these kids had a vampire in their attic at their house. So they were watching their TV. Now I'm watching my TV as they're watching their TV. Or they this is sad, right? Is this sad or crazy or scary? I don't know. I mean, I think the scary part is that this guy might be a senator. See the vampire killer on that TV. So they win this contest to bring this actor. Now, y'all got to stay with me. Bring this actor who's a vampire killer from that TV to get rid of this real life vampire in that attic. 
So as this actor comes to their home, he got all the right stuff. He got all the right stuff because you know you gotta have a state and gotta have a thing to kill him in the heart. And he got a necklace of garlic because that worked. Is anybody still with us here? I don't know what it does, but it worked. You gotta have a cross because it burned. I know that worked. And then all of a sudden, this is what was so funny about it. As they're walking through the house, this these this, this guy's got the holy water. He's blessing the house. This actor now he's all fake. He's blessing the house with his holy water. They walked upstairs in this vampire looking real good in this black suit. Whoa, that sounds like Senator Warnock, doesn't it? Looking all good in this black suit. Float I guess that's the connection to the campaign. From the ceiling. He floated from the ceiling looking good and cool. And I'm thinking, whoa, they better get out of that house. If somebody float from your ceiling, get out of that house. That's, that's not your house. But as he floated from the ceiling, the kids jumped behind that hero. As they jumped behind that hero, the guy jumped in front of him with this holy water, threw it on the vampire forehead. He covered his eyes. And he took his hand away. We're almost through it. And, I, and the reason I'm playing the whole thing is for you to realize this was not just 10 seconds out of context. This was a two minute unintelligible, hopped up rant. He started laughing and he said, that don't work. He took the cross, he put it on the vampire forehead and the vampire didn't even do anything. He said, that don't work. And that's the way it is in our life. It doesn't work unless you got faith. It is time for us to have faith. We got to have faith in our fellow brother. We got to have faith in this country. We got to have faith in this in the elected officials. And right now, that's the reason I'm here. Mm. I, does anybody understand why he's there? I don't I'm from that explanation. He says, that's why I'm here. I don't understand why he's there. Folks, do you understand the level of despair that we should all feel at the state of democracy if this man can become an American senator, a United States senator, one of 100 senators? It is extra important that we do everything we can to prevent him from becoming a senator. This is a humiliation. This is, I quite I, I'm not exaggerating, OK? If I walked into guys, I don't know, a dry cleaner, if I walked into anywhere, an accounting firm and they said uh, CPA Walker is going to be handling your taxes this year and people, the whoever comes in speaks like this, rants like this about things. I'm not hiring that person and he's on the cusp of becoming a U.S. senator when Raphael Warnock understands the issues, seems reasonably empathetic, seems to understand the process of the Senate. I mean, what are we even talking about here? Here's one more clip from this where it's something about bicycles. I, I don't even know. It's it's wow. What we need to do is get rid of those 87,000 RS agents that's going to go after you. Maybe we need to put now, remember, there, there aren't 87,000 IRS or RAS agents that it's just it's not true. Remember that over the next decade, 55,000 IRS agents will retire. So there's a plan to replace them with 55,000 new IRS agents. In addition, the IRS is understaffed. So there's going to be a slight increase to staffing. And in terms of them going after people, this is the armed IRS agents thing. There's like a very small division in the IRS. I don't remember if it's a, a couple hundred or at the most like eighteen hundred, something like that, agents who carry firearms and like they, they are they are police at the end of the day and police carry firearms. It's all of those police officers in our school to protect our kids. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. But yet, 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 yet we got people in Washington that gotten too weak. All they want to do is let people ride their bike. That's what Senator Warnock is doing. Let Joe Biden ride his bike because he voted with him 96 percent of the time, which means he don't know what he's doing or he's seen to love Joe Biden. I don't know which one it is, but I can tell you both of them is wrong because what we need. It's it's really sad at the end of the day. I mean, it just he doesn't make any sense. This is this is the embodiment of everything we should be working really hard to keep out of public office. It's it's everything. It's everything. It's personal hypocrisy, a personal history of not being a particularly good person, completely ignorant on the issues. I mean, it, there there is no checklist of things we should try to keep out of public office. That doesn't include everything that Herschel Walker is. So let's make sure if you vote in Georgia, make sure you understand where and when to vote. There is a lawsuit currently about early voting. If you can plan to vote on December 6th, plan to vote on December 6th. We will be live with 
um, election results and all of it on that day. I want to briefly talk about Ivanka Trump. Many of you emailed me about this story. Ivanka Trump is refusing to be involved with Donald Trump's 2024 run. Now, she is putting a very positive spin on it. There's an article in the cut which summarizes this called Ivanka would prefer not to. The article is by Claire Lampin. It was published yesterday and it includes a transcript of Ivanka's uh, Instagram post where she said, um, I love my father very much. This time around, I'm choosing to prioritize my young children and the private life we are creating together as a family. I do not plan to be involved in politics while I will always love and support my father. Going forward, I will do so outside the political arena. I am grateful to have had the honor of serving the American people, and I will always be proud of many of our administration's accomplishments. Listen, um, this has been a building fiasco for Jared and Ivanka. And I have to say, you know, th this isn't about I think Ivanka's great, but it has always struck me that from the adult children, and I include Jared Kushner in this as the son in law, that Ivanka most accurately had the pulse, had, uh, 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 understood the pulse of what the perception of Trump and his kids was. And we had numerous reports when Trump's term was waning and it was, you know, he had lost already. He was claiming he was going to figure out a way to stay, but it was obvious he was leaving. There were these reports about how Jared and Ivanka were struggling with the fact that their old social circles were uh, refusing. They were they were not welcoming them back in. And there were a bunch of different stories that you can find about this. And then in the lead up to Donald Trump's announcement on Tuesday night, there was also reporting about Trump has been begging Jared and Ivanka to be there. And it's not clear whether they are going to be there. And at the end of the day, Ivanka wasn't there and Jared Kushner was. I actually respect this more than anything I've ever seen Ivanka do. Of course, she was in way over her head, even being involved with this administration. She had no business there. Remember when she sat in for then Secretary of State Rex Tillerson at like the G something summit? It's all completely and utterly insane. But the most responsible and respectful uh, uh, thing that Ivanka has done here is to recognize this was a humiliation. And hey, you know what? She values her personal life. She values her social life. She realizes that it was humiliating what happened. I am sure that she still thinks that good things were done by her dad. I don't I don't think she thinks it was a disaster, but she increasingly recognizes the cartoonish nature of what went on around the January 6th riots. There are reports that Ivanka was horrified by what was going on and wasn't thrilled with Donald Trump's response. So I understand why she's not just coming out and saying this was a complete humiliation to my my personal family, right? Her and her kids. There is probably all sorts of crazy stuff going on in terms of her versus Jared, because for now it seems that Jared is standing behind Trump, although it increasingly seems like he's not he would not be a part of an, an upcoming Trump administration. This actually is the most logical thing I've ever heard of Ivanka doing. She should have no involvement. It's been a humiliation. It's been bad for her. It's obviously terrible for her kids. And this is clearly the right decision. So good for Ivanka. I think it makes sense. And the question now remains, uh, what's Jared going to do on a personal level? I don't care, but it is interesting to see the difference between Eric and Don Jr., who are clearly full speed ahead on this and Ivanka, who seems a little bit more reflective and thoughtful about the disaster that this has been for their family. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. You know, one thing I've learned in doing this show, homophobic people don't like being called homophobic. Take a listen to this. Hi, David. I'm calling from Decatur, Georgia. You know, I watch your show regularly and um, anytime someone doesn't agree with the homosexual, lesbian, transgender lifestyle, you call them transphobic, or homophobic, mm. and I think that's wrong. People have a right to their own beliefs, and I think you should stop labeling people as having a phobia because they disagree with their lifestyle. You should probably check yourself out on that. Mm. Thank you. Listen, 
the mere use of the word lifestyle is already problematic. Homophobes that I've been interviewing for more than a decade love to talk about the gay lifestyle, and that is a flag that you are homophobic. Now, I think it's important to understand that when we use the term homophobic and transphobic, a lot of people like to play the kind of literal semantic games where they go, it's not a phobia. I just think it's wrong. This is similar to when people when they hear the phrase anti-Semitism, they go, why is the word anti-Semitism? Semites also include people of Arab descent, not just Jews. Right. But Google the term anti-Semitism, the term anti-Semitism, even though the etymology relates to Semite, is related specifically to anti-Jewish sentiment. And similarly, when we talk about homophobia and transphobia, we don't literally mean I'm afraid it's a phobia. It is more all encompassing than that. So not a shock. Homophobes and transphobes don't like to be called that. We're going to have a fantastic bonus show today. We'll talk about the FTX collapse. We will talk about lab grown meat being cleared for human consumption. And we will talk about over a billion young people being at risk for hearing loss, something that I have much to say about. Sign up at joinpacman.com. Don't miss today's bonus show.